Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. Welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Letter. Darren Mitchell here and a uh, beautiful day again, a summer's day in Melbourne. For those of you in the Northern Hemisphere, it's obviously the middle of winter, but I have the absolute pleasure today of speaking with another Australian and a, and a great Australian at that, Mr. John Haynes. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. G'day, Darren. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to uh, having a good chat. We will, absolutely. And just before we press record, we were talking about the extremities of the Australian, uh, well, the countryside, but also the extreme heat. And you were talking about part of your holiday, just um, experiencing 45 to 46 degrees Celsius. Yeah, yeah. We're up in a place called Calbarry, which is sort of seven hours north of Perth. And um, I'd actually been up there a few times the last few months doing doing some work with the, with the cyclone recovery. So that's what sort of uh, made us think we should have a holiday up there. And uh, yeah, a couple of days were sort of 45, 46, and that was in town on the on the beach. So it was um it was extreme at times, but uh, but beautiful. It's just a it's a wonderful part of the world and a great little community. Man, when they talk about the concept of you be able to it's so hot you could fry an egg on the bonnet, it probably is true in that sort of heat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and, and just even just the impact it had on you know the local wildlife. We were speaking to one guy who was a board shaper who lived in the sort of in the industrial area, and that was close to fifty where he was. Um, but he had all the literally hundreds of birds on his front lawn because he had the sprinklers on. Yeah. And they're all just sort of with their wings out in the middle of the day, just standing under the sprinklers for a couple of hours. And he had a wedge-tailed eagle come in, which was, you know, a big predatory bird who would typically be, you know, quite aggressive to the other birds. But he just sat there with his, you know, two-meter <laughs> wingspan and he was just cooked. <laughs> he was just like, I don't care. I'm not hungry at the moment. I just want to stay cool. Um, oh, my God. And yeah, it, it was just amazing. Yeah, so it, it sort of impacts everyone, doesn't it? Man, that would have been an absolute sight. I wonder if you took photos or video of that. Yeah, I'm not sure. They're probably used to it. Like, he's a local, so he's probably just yeah. like, oh, whatever. Like, it happens. Just the wedge style. <laughs> <laughs> it happens this time of year. But um, for us, we were like, wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Right, that is uh that is a great experience. And yeah, we're talking to I'm, I'm talking to people. I was talking to a guy just before Christmas from Canada, and uh I said, Oh, by the way, what what sort of temperature are you experiencing right now? Because he was just walking around in a in a t-shirt. He said, Oh, it's minus 20 degrees Celsius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was the same. I don't I don't like um it was at, at Whistler in Canada at the same time, and I clicked him a message and said, What's the temperature comparison? And he said it's minus 15. I said, oh, it's 45 degrees here. I won't, I won't tell you what he replied with, but it was, yeah, it was like, geez. My God, yeah. my God. Hey, mate, hey, thanks for, uh, we've been connected for a little while now on LinkedIn and the way we connected, full disclosure, I heard you on um, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine's podcast, Mark LeBusque. And for those of you who are listening, if you haven't checked out Mark's podcast, please do yourself a favour. Simply Practical Human Podcast. But uh, really, really impressed with that conversation and I know you've got a um, an elite sporting background which we'll delve into but I was really interested to talk to you today about um, a lot of things around leadership strategy culture but particularly character um, so as we said before we press record we don't know where this is going to go so it's just a conversation which is yeah. how I tend to roll so that's, no, that's, good. that's okay with you but before we jump into I guess some some questions just for the listeners benefit can you give us a bit of a background on on John Haynes and and what's led you to this point? Yeah, no, happy to. Um, yeah, I, I was, from a professional point of view, as you sort of alluded to, I've spent most of my life, um, working life at least in the AFL industry and you know, I've been really lucky, worked at three clubs, um, you know, Fremantle over here and, and North Melbourne in Melbourne and, and most recently at the Gold Coast Suns up in Queensland and I've been really you know, privileged and really fortunate to, to meet some wonderful people and have some great experiences and you know the, the last two roles were sort of jam of jam of football uh sorry a motorbike just went past um, <laughs> that's all right my series probably at some stage is going to go off as well which it did yesterday in a workshop so that's all right mate. um i've got the, i should have shut the doors but um yeah uh so jam of football is sort of that you know if you take an olympic comparison is that performance director type equivalent in the afl industry and it's a really fast-moving environment, 
um, you know, results focused and performance orientated. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts in those roles. And so you learn an enormous amount about people and, and leadership and culture. And, and that's always been a strong interest of, of mine. So, you know, I'm a practitioner of leadership in that sense, but I've also tried to complement what I've done in a professional sense, you know, with studies and you know, mm did my master's in organizational leadership a few years ago um you know got a couple of undergraduate sort of things that complement that as well and and then most recently did a churchill fellowship which was around character development and my interest in character development came very much you know when i reflect back and think about it more deeply it was you know through my upbringing and a whole range of experiences but it sort of really came to the fore in my time um at north melbourne and then also at the suns in terms of you know, what are the type of character attributes that are actually going to not just function in those environments, but really thrive in those environments? Because they are unusual and yeah. they're not real environments. And so I did a, yeah, a lot of work around what those attributes are. And then coming back to Perth at the end of uh, 2021, yeah, there was an opportunity to explore, you know, could I, you know, explore expanding that model and that thinking into other organisations and, um, you know, complement it with a book and so forth. And, uh, yeah, and that's where I've been sort of spending the last 12 months of my time and helping a whole range of different organisations around, you know, what it, what character looks like, what does it mean? Because, there's, there's so, as you would know, there's so much stuff on leadership out there, like there's literally mountains and mountains of it, um, but there's not a lot on character. And, and that was... Yeah, if I go back to when I was applying for the Churchill Fellowship, it was that's what intrigued me is to it's such an underpinning platform to great leadership, but there's actually not a lot of research and literature on it. Yeah, and I know, and we'll certainly plug the book and um, let people know when they where they can get the the book title "Rock Solid Character," which is a great great title. But when you're looking at, because what, what intrigued me about that was your background at the Suns Frio and also North Melbourne, working in those high pressure, high performance um, environments where literally the cameras are on the players, cameras are on the coaches. They've got to be conscious of what they say. They've also got to be conscious of what they do, but also getting access to the inner sanctum of those organisations and, and seeing things from the inside. Often that would be a different um, a different kettle of fish altogether, but it'd be no different to some of the organisations that are non AFL, for example, because they all have the same sort of philosophies or or challenges or expectations, just a different industry. One of the things that was always intrigued me when I when I was thinking about this is how we actually define character. And when you think about that from a from a leadership point of view, when you're saying, hey. That leader there, like Brad Scott, as the ex-coach um, of North Melbourne now at now at Essendon, if he's a, considered as a great as a great leader, sometimes when people would describe him, they'd say he is a he is of great character or he yeah. is a great character. And then you ask the question, well, what does that actually mean? Now, yeah. in in your research, what you've been doing since you um, since you've left the I guess the industry, have you been able to define that? And if you have, how do we define character from a leadership point of view? Yeah, yeah, you hit on a whole range of really um, interesting and relevant points, Darren. I think that that was part of my interest in the in the whole notion of character. You know, going back sort of um, at North Melbourne, really, so sort of 2009, 2010 was when it first started because exactly what you described was occurring. Um, you know, we get recruiting staff or different people saying, oh, he's got great character, he's got shit character, or I'm not sure about his character. And, and you, know, you just wanted to delve a bit deeper. What do you mean by that? And then, you, you know, we had all these profiling sort of mechanisms and tools that we had in place, but it, it didn't really, it didn't resonate a lot of the times practically with what it looked like in those environments. Um, so yeah, that was when we started to dig a bit deeper and, and through the, you know, the Churchill Foundation Fellowship, that was part of my um, my aim was to try and define what character is and it doesn't make it right or wrong at the end of the yeah. day. It's it's an opinion based on experiences and and you know, and some pretty strong research and, and literature and so on. But I landed with a, you know, the, the, the idea is rock-solid character, um, which has its own sort of meaning to it, which is more personal. But the three buckets around performance character, emotional character and social character, and then how that links to, you know, your own identity and, and purpose. 
and it was then trying to work out, oh, what are the traits that sit under each of those? So what are the traits that sit under performance character? What are the traits that sit under social character? What are the traits that sit under emotional character? Um, and what do they, again, practically look like? And yeah. trying to really make it really simple for people to understand. So performance, emotional, social, they can connect to those once you get into it um, and it makes sense. And you can go and practice it and use it straight away, like the next the next hour, the next day. Yeah. But it's backed up with really sound, you know, research and literature underpinning it all. Um, so, yeah, so the bottom line, I, I found by sort of segmenting the notion of character into three elements mm-hmm. and then having simple traits or behaviours underneath each of those um, have, have made it really easy for people to connect with, but they're also coming off the back of, well, if you can get those things right, and it doesn't mean you have to be 10 out of 10 in all of them. Yeah. But if you can be progressing in a positive fashion in each of those areas, like going back to your point around leadership, they are the foundations for leadership, for great leadership and really influential leadership and leadership in a in a modern way as well, you know, that matches the expectations of the environment that we're in at the moment. Um, and I've found that, and if I go back from a leadership perspective, I've found, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I've, I think sometimes, particularly with younger people, yeah, but also with, you know, the more mature generation, I think sometimes we layer on leadership philosophies and frameworks without people really understanding or what are the, what's the foundation here? Have we got the foundation right? Um, because your point before around um, someone who's got great leadership, you can, have, you can be a great leader, mm. but you can also be a poor character. Yeah, absolutely. Like in really simple terms, I'm, I'm using the phrase that we were sort of talking about before, but you can have question marks around your character, but be viewed as a great leader as well yeah. because you're influential yeah. or you've got great, great charisma or you're in a position of power, mm. or whatever it might be. Um, but the foundations of your character and your behaviour, they can be questionable. Yeah. So the, the challenge is how do we get the foundations right first uh, and then we can allow people to, to lead more in a more impactful and a more influential way. Um, and then the last part before I'll, I'll shut up um, is, <laughs> the, is the, a, a lot of this stuff came from what does it mean for young people? Yeah. So the, the Churchill Fellowship was was around um, why are young men fundamentally, but also young women, why are young men behaving the way they're behaving? So, you know, high risk taking behaviour, you know, um, extreme behaviour, um, lack of identity, um, you know, high, high male use suicide rates, yeah. you know, the mental health challenge. So there was all this question sort of six, five, six years ago was around, well, what's going on here for young men from a character perspective, identity perspective? And so that that's sort of, sort of links into the research and links into the book as well. Mm. It's um, when you're talking about that and you look at what most footy clubs, AFL clubs in particular, are filled with is young men. Yeah, and, and young women now. And like yeah. Young women, AFLW, and you look at yeah. all organisations and I'm part of the local footy club here in Gisborne in, uh, yeah. in Victoria. Same thing, male and female, netball. A lot of them yep. are pretty young. Um. Because what 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 I heard you then talking about was, and what I got from it was the importance of role modelling. And yeah. if you've got good quote unquote leaders who may be of, let's just say, questionable character, because I often think myself in terms of character is what you end up doing when nobody's watching. Are you doing the right thing, or yeah. are you doing the self serving thing because people are watching you? Yeah. Um, we've got we've got so many role models we have to be conscious of but the responsibility that therefore comes with with leadership is is huge and for some it's maybe too much to handle yeah. so how how well, it's it's an obvious question but how important is to get those those foundations really rock solid yeah. before we start adding on all the other stuff that's right and and it requires patience and it requires an alignment in strategy when you go down that approach because people want to move so quickly and it doesn't matter whether you want to sell something, doesn't matter you want to build a footy team, a cricket team, if you want to build a great business, people want to go bang, bang, we want to get there as quick as we can. Mm. And that's okay. Um, but part of this approach is just taking a breath and just going, okay, well, if we're going to get there, can we get there with really strong foundations so it actually lasts longer Yeah. Um, rather than trying to speed to the finish line as quickly as we can and you pl- end up plugging holes along the way. Yeah. Um, so the, that that's 
absolutely part of it. So the alignment in strategy that if you've got to go down this, this when we talk about culture and we talk about people and capability, but having a, an aligned approach on this stuff is really important because if, you, if, you, if your board or your CEO say, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea, John, off you go, um, and then six weeks later, eight weeks later, um, you haven't hit your sales targets or you, you haven't won a game or whatever it is, it's like, that's a shit idea. Can we just, <laughs> can we just start winning? Um, but <laughs> so it can be pulled apart if you don't have alignment. So alignment is really important uh, as part of your overall strategy between your key leaders, so board, CEO, exec, and whoever's driving the strategy. Yeah. Um, and your other point around role models is, is absolutely, absolutely foundational. If and I, and I look at the organisations, you know, most recently the Suns, that, you know, where we had to really reset the place. Like it, there was a lot to do when you know when we when we got there, uh, and Stewie and I sort of were really aligned with, you know, what we saw the finish, the you know, the end product looking like. But yeah, it it was underpinned by if you're bringing in that many young people, staff and players, yeah, then they have to look around and see the right behaviours all the time. Mm. Um, so you had to be we had to be really selective and really thoughtful with again the type of people and role models that we brought in yeah and it you know it doesn't mean they're the most talented but they're you can you can teach the capability stuff um but though their behaviors were were outstanding and our young players really quickly looked around and thought no no this is the right way to behave and then when you've got parents on the other side of the country you know sending their sons and we've got responsibility for them they need comfort that they're in good hands and they're around good people and um, and that doesn't mean, again, that you always get it right because there's always, you know, we got that one wrong or we didn't yeah. get that right. But I think if your intent and your, and your thinking is really deliberate uh, and, you're, and you're well planned with it, you, you'll get eight or nine at 10 right. And any organisation that's getting eight or nine out of 10 right consistently yeah. be a good organisation. Yeah. yeah, and I think the thing you said there which really resonated was the intention. Mm. So I think a lot of, of organisations... Are often susceptible to either the winds of change or the results on the scoreboard. And particularly in my industry, in the sales industry, it's very easy to look at the scoreboard and say, hey, you've either met your sales target or you're not. And in some cases, depending on the strength of the leadership and the courage of the leadership to stay on a certain course, can very easily turn around and say, you know what, all these, all these mumbo jumbo leadership character sort of stuff, we'll just put that to the side and we'll get back to it when you actually make your target. So yeah, that's right. that can create a lot of dysfunction within any organization. So yeah. Um, yeah. so the parallel to there, and I know as a hey, self-confessed Melbourne supporter, who's <laughs> 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 been through lots and lots of years of pain and anguish and, yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But looking looking at an organization like the Gold Coast Suns being a being a newer team and a newer organization and pretty much building from from the ground up what did you find in your role there and obviously there's a lot of stuff you've learned there that you've now put into the book and continue to pay it forward yeah. to, to organizations the i guess the the tension between having to build an elite environment look after the young people build a sustainable culture that people want to be a part of so they're not looking to leave but also deal with the pressure of having to perform yeah. How, how do how do we how do we find out? I'd be interested in like the CEO, the um, I was going to say the mayor, the president, <laughs> but also Stuart as the coach, the head coach. Um, what sort of pressure is under uh, they those guys under in order to like look after all of that? Yeah, um, oh, a, a significant amount. Um, I think your point before around you know most organisations that have a performance focus to them. Would experience exactly what we've been talking about, but they don't have the external scrutiny that comes with it. Yeah. So if I'm working at a local real estate office or an accounting company, I've got 150 people or whatever it is. If things are ebbing and flowing, or they're going well, or they're going not going so well, there's little external scrutiny that most of it's dealt with in house, and you can manage without the the pressure of what's going on externally. Mm -hmm. Whereas in uh, sport, um, and particularly AFL in this country, like you know, everyone's watching um, yeah. and everyone has an opinion and, and, you know, the majority of them aren't that well-informed, but their opinions nonetheless uh, yeah. and, you know, different, the, the weight and the and the volume of those opinions can affect decision-making internally if if there's not a really strong level of alignment. I'm, yeah. Okay, 
Do we have endorsement of the plan? Do we have endorsement of the strategy? Um, have we anticipated what's coming up? Um, you know, and that's part, I've found that a really beneficial process is to you look 12, 24 months out in advance and say, well, what are the type of experiences? What are the types of obstacles? What are the types of good things and bad things, highs and lows? Do you think we're going to deal with over the next 12, 18, 24, 36 months? Yeah. And that, that's a really strategic and a really deliberate process to undertake. Um, but it's really helpful, particularly in I found in, in the AFL, because it allows board members and uh, executive team members, it's not something you do with your players, but it, it's more so with the, the people who have got responsibility for the strategy to say, well, what's coming up? Mm. And when this thing does come up, so when we do have this massive high or we have a, this massive low or something significant happens, we've actually already thought about it and discussed it and debated it and we've got some framework or some semblance of a plan on how we're going to deal with it so it doesn't come as a surprise when we lose you know when a young developing team loses four in a row yeah that's that's normal look at history it tells us that's you know as you as a melbourne supporter they've been through that but then Absolutely. also how did, how did melbourne deal with when they won 10 in a row yeah look it's a different type of pressure that you have to deal with but you've still yeah. got to deal with it you've yeah. still got to navigate it and manage it with your stakeholders so that process of trying to look ahead to say, well, what's coming up? What do we have to deal with? What capability do we need to be able to deal with that? And what resources do we need to tap into internally? It just helps build alignment and build awareness and helps build that, you know, trying to um, mitigate the no surprise sort of, you know, uh, theory as much as you possibly can. And what I hear there is things like it's okay. We've got the destination because every every single AFL club, for example, just like every single sales organisation, will start the, I guess, the preseason with a yep. blank slate or start the sales year and say, hey, we're going to win the premiership. We're going to give ourselves every opportunity of being successful. And how do we set ourselves up in order for us to do that? Yeah. But then the good organisations do what you're suggesting and saying, how do we communicate effectively? How can we look out six, 12 months down the track and maybe forecast where there might be some bumps in the road? Yep. And how can we set and reset the expectations and keep people focused on the fact that we're making progress and that over time that progress will actually uh, build momentum and will accumulate to a result rather than exactly. seeing that's the, that's the outcome. Because you see some like AFL presidents who come out in the public eye. I'm not going to mention anybody other than yeah. like, Jeff Kennett, but I didn't say that out loud. <laughs> but they sometimes um, are a mouthpiece externally, which may not necessarily reflect the internal dialogue that they should be having within the organisation. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's the alignment part again. That's the yeah. alignment part. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a really difficult dynamic to manage at times, depending yeah. on yeah, depending on your chairman and your board and all those sort of yeah. things. Yeah. Um, because, that, yeah, like... If you go back to day one, again, no matter what organisation you're in, like everyone wants to win. Mm. Whatever winning looks like, everyone wants to win. Yeah. But wanting to win is not a competitive advantage because everyone wants to win. Yeah. So, so it's okay. Well, what's, what's, again, so what's underpinning it? What's the foundations to wanting to win and what does winning look like? Yeah. Because we're not all going to win. In the AFL, one team wins out of 18. You know, how many real estate companies are there in Australia? Like, it's the same analogy. It can only be one best. Yeah. So you can only be one there. So if you're going to hang your hat on winning it every year um, and you're not prepared for the, you know, the pain and the discomfort and the challenge and the, of, of not winning, then you're going to be pretty sad and pretty grumpy for a lot, a lot of the times. Absolutely. And it's when you look at that, the fact that, hey, everybody would love to win a premiership, and I was really annoyed that Melbourne got bumped out in the two finals last year because I sat through both of them in a lot yeah. of pain. <laughs> but then you look at other clubs who perhaps didn't make the eight, but when they do their reviews, they're not necessarily criticising themselves for not making finals or not winning a final or not winning a premiership. They're looking at, did we improve and did we achieve the benchmarks and the progress, I guess, triggers that we set for yeah, ourselves. That's right. And yeah. not compare ourselves to the Geelongs or the or the Brisbane Lions or whatever the case might be. No, no, no. And there's learnings from the other teams. There's no doubt. But I think also sports become much better. I mean, I think you know the AFL has been related with this. Like the holistic development of the athlete and the holistic development of the club is far more advanced than what it was even five years ago. Yeah. So you know the measures around you know 
individual player well-being, you know, what's their transition look like? What's their off-field setup look like? Um, you know, the, the mental health aspect around how we're looking after them, partners, parents, families. Who have, you know, not much recently, to be honest, but in the past who have slipped through the system where they haven't had the level of care and perhaps attention they required. Yeah. And there's been some horrific ones in Olympic sports yeah. where, you know, this focus on winning at all costs and that Olympic cycle, you know, it, 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 it's not healthy for athletes. But I think the, even the Olympic system and, you know, sports outside of the AFL have got much better at having a broader sense of, well, what does winning look like? outside of podium yeah. yeah yeah and so when you when you take all of that that work and all that experience and you're now working um i just noticed our internet was sort of yeah no, i've got you back yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey luck we're not on dial-up <laughs> <laughs> so so when you take all of that experience and now you're working with various different organizations um what, is, what are some of the, because there's going to be parallels, but there's also going to be some, I guess, unique challenges when it comes to to this sort of stuff. Because um, yeah. what I would like to do is sort of delve into some of the key elements of, of character as, as you define them based on your research around yep. the emotional performance and social elements. But um, when you're now working in organisations, whether that be, you know, a, a not-for-profit or a, or a government organisation, um, how difficult is it for you to try and get some cut-through um, and communicate the importance of of character because if we who have been in the industry for a while in terms of working with teams have found it difficult to define character, I imagine people who haven't been in that sort of industry but have responsibility for leadership but also will also struggle with that. So yeah. what what have what have you noticed? A whole range of things. Like it's been really enlightening in a lot of ways. Um, okay. I can use the word privilege at the start with the AFL. Like it's a real privilege to be invited into organisations and, you know, the organisations that I've done work with this year have been really open with allowing me, you know, access um, and providing almost that sort of, you know, objective independent view at different times and yeah. observations on things. That's been really insightful and helped inform some of the stuff that I've done. But... Uh, but going your point around cut through, like it's been unbelievable. Like people, um, the amount of times I've had people say, "Well, we haven't seen this before." Like there's a, again, there's a heap of leadership stuff. There's a lot of organisations and consultants and experts providing leadership consulting, but we haven't seen it from this point of view before. So, so that's been, so that's good and bad because it's like, well, we don't understand it, we don't like it, so go away. But it, the opposite. <laughs> The opposite has been the case. They've said, like, we'd like to learn more and explore it more. Um, and then, yeah, once you're in there, you know, working with teams and working with organisations, the, the level of buy-in has been really strong um, and sort of taken a, a two-pronged approach. One is trying to work, again, with the that the young, using this term, but the younger generation, so people who are coming into the workforce Perhaps at the, you know in their first foray into the workforce, yeah. graduate apprentices, you know, or moving into sort of initial management sort of roles, working with that group about, well, how do we help you get again your, your character foundations right, mm -hmm. and how do we help with the intent being one, hopefully help you be a more emotionally aware and um, socially conscious person in the workplace and individually, but also how do you actually navigate yourself in this environment. And if we look at you know, WA in particular, the mining sector, you know, you probably would have read there's been a whole range of different, you know, been a parliamentary inquiry into, you know, fundamentally male behaviour on site and, the, you know, the level of sexual assaults and harassment on sites has been, you know, a real plague for the industry. Yeah. So, so well, how do we help people coming into these environments, really difficult, tough environments, navigate their way through that? So one from their own behaviour, but then also if they see stuff going on, what are you going to? How are we going to help you navigate this when you see it when you're in the Absolutely. moment? So that's been working sort of ground up, and then the other way has been working with senior leaders, helping them understand again their own identity, which is a challenge for guys our age. And a lot of them have been blokes in yeah. really senior roles. You know, have been really competent, capable engineers or accountants or whatever it might be. 
And then they're, because of their technical capability, you know, would have heard this story a million times. They get, okay, well, you, you can now manage a team of 150 people. And they're like, yeah, great. Now what do I fucking do? Now what do I do? <laughs> so, that, that, so it's a big, so working with a lot of guys in that sort of 45 to sort of 55 age group who are in charge of big teams and, you know, big budgets. Um, and it, it's, your point before around it's just it has been slow in the sense that well let's just go back a step here guys and just again just help them understand well who are they you know what do they really want to do and then what does their leadership behaviors look like from a character perspective yeah so trying to tackle it from two you know the, the ground up and then the guys themselves but then also helping them understand well like never forget how hard it is so you've got a 25 year old or an 18 year old apprentice like you were, you were once in their shoes. Absolutely. And now you're in a leadership role. Yeah. Like how, how are you going to manage that? How are you going to get the best? How are you going to support them as strongly as you can by knowing that you've been in that situation rather than just telling them what to do? Yeah. Um, so trying to work at it from different angles and then trying to get alignment again amongst the different levels within the organisation to say, well, if you're going to go down this path of having a, you know, a level of interest and in, um, being deliberate about your character traits, like building that alignment through the different levels within the business because they're big, you know, some really big organisations over here that are complex. So you've got to be able to have that alignment all the way through. It's a um, it's a question maybe of left field, but I'll be interested in your in your take on this. Which which group of those two you described have you found the most challenging to deal with and to work with through this sort of process? Yeah, I'm probably biased in the sense that. I've worked with young people my whole life. They, they probably give me give me my, my most energy. Like I had a young guy the other day with we a session. I'll just quickly digress. And uh, and he was sitting in there. We went for about an hour or so. It was a fair bit of discussion and so on. And at the end, I just went around and said, "Oh, give us one word to tell us how you're feeling." Yeah. And it's, he's like 18, and he just looked at me. He goes, "I'm flabbergasted." <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. And I said, "I said, what do you mean?" I said, "That could be good or bad." He goes, "He goes." I've never thought about things like about character like this at all. Never wow. thought about it. And like he was, it was, and then he went on and sort of explained. It was so, and he was just that pumped, like he's so excited. And you know, you get young guys saying, oh, "I just feel better and I feel yeah. clearer." So there's, they give you a lot of energy. The older generation, older generation, I'm in that bucket now as well. Like, like all of us, our mindset is far more fixed the older we get, and we can be harder to shift. Um, our thinking and our behaviours the older we get. And that can be also relative to the environment that you're in as well. So yeah. if you're in a very compliance-driven environment, like mining companies are, absolutely, so many controls and so, many, so much risk management around safety and behaviours in particular, it can become quite robotic. So it's like, well, yeah, we get, you've got this unbelievable risk management framework in place. It's incredible. Like it's world-class. Yeah. But stuff keeps happening because of human behaviour. So how do we help them understand and make it a complementary system yeah. rather than one or the other? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Rio Tino example sort of we've used that as a case study a few times this year where they, you know, they blew up the Indigenous artwork. And it was 40,000-year-old Indigenous artwork. I, I don't know. I, that have an unbelievable, that have a world-class rich management framework. You can imagine the, the quality of the people sitting around that boardroom table. Yeah, like, absolutely. Best in the world. Yet that decision, from what we understand, took somewhere between 12 to 18 months from the moment they thought, oh, let's do this, to whoever's sitting at that mine site with their finger on the button going, boom. Am, am I, yeah? Are you sure? You want me to do this? And so how many sets of hands did that decision go through? Yeah. And how, what, what level of debate and discussion and all that sort of stuff? That wasn't a failure of leadership. It wasn't a failure of governance. It was a failure of character traits or behaviours in the decision-making process. Yes. Because their governance framework would be unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, so it's foundational things around what actually underpins making good decisions as well. Yeah. 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 It's um, And with that, I'm sure there's a lot of bias that came into that and fixed thinking and and maybe, I'll just say it, selfishness rather than selflessness because of yeah. what that would have generated not just for the organization but for them as key stakeholders in that organization because yeah. they needed to produce in order to get short-term long-term bonuses whatever the case might be exactly yeah at what expense yeah. well 
whatever. It's uh, that's it's, right. Yeah, you know, so. and, and again, it, I'm always conscious of providing observations on organisations when you're not in there because I, I know I've been in plenty where people are providing observations on what you're doing from the outside and they got no idea what they're talking about. But um, but yeah, so I'm just conscious of that. But I, you look at those sort of case studies where there's been a long lag time between when they decided to suit or they started discussing something and then they do it. Yeah. Like it's just fascinating what would have occurred and the type of discussion that occurred within that phase for them to land at that decision. Yeah. And and those people along the way who were complicit in that decision, did they do it for the betterment of the organization, the environment, or do they do it for the betterment of themselves? And thinking, well, hang on, did you did you get involved in groupthink and decisions yeah, yeah. by steering committee and how did that serve the greater good and now you're going to be paying for it because there's consequences right. to everything you do that's right yeah as you right. say points to character yeah yeah exactly now yeah. the interesting thing there is i'm just thinking as you were as you were talking uh, i do a lot of work with teams around values and i know organizations do a lot of values work i'll be curious because i'd love to delve into some of the i guess things to think about around character in those three different phases emotional performance and social but yeah is it similar am i right in assuming that similar to values different organizations may have different values based on what's important to them is the same sort of methodology or approach to character the same or do we say hang on we know that in a in a an elite sporting organization under performance we have to have this character this character this character yeah. I think what a um, it's a really it's a really good discussion. What what I've tried to do, Darren, is is provide a model uh, and provide a perspective. Yeah, and it doesn't make it right. Yeah, like it's it's really solid in the way it's been developed and put together. But I'm I'm not so arrogant to say that it's the only way of doing things. So um, what I what I've tried to say is, well, here's a perspective on things. Here are some traits under performance, social, and emotional that I've found based on my experiences, lived experiences, and my studies and my research that they make sense. Yeah. Um, and they absolutely work within elite sport, and I'm really confident they apply to different organisations. However, if you look at the if you agree with the buckets of performance, social. Uh, and emotional, and you know what they mean, you, what each of those means, and you've got variations on those um, traits that you think align better to your the environment that you work in or the organisation you work for, then pop them into the framework and mm. use that as your point of reference. And if they're values-based traits, no dramas. It, it, it's designed to, to make people think about it more than being a, a definitive model. Yeah, yeah cool, cool. So as a, as a leader... Uh, whether it be an operational leader, business leader, a sports leader, sales leader, if we're looking at, uh, we'll just take the performance um, bucket first. What are yep. some things to at least contemplate? Because I'm sure that to do this well, I mean, you bring somebody like you in to, to help facilitate that. But I'm also thinking that as a leader, they need to have some sort of autonomy to start doing this themselves, or at least start thinking about some things. Yeah. yeah. What are what are some what are some traits, if you like, around performance that you think? Yeah. So um, performance. So performance character. I'm trying to use really simple language. So performance characters, how you show up, sort of what you say and what you do. So yeah. it's sort of action based. Um, but it's things like I use the term relish the contest, but that's competitiveness. Like how competitive are you? Um, and that doesn't mean again winning at all costs, but it's understanding that the reality is like you need to be able to compete you need to be yeah. able to have a, a level of love and enjoyment for competing that underpins what you do and the real competitive and there's a great example last night wasn't there with Andy Murray yeah like playing at five o'clock in the morning he's 35 years old against a guy who's 22 you know he was told three years ago he's never going to play again like he's got clearly he's a talented player but he just won on pure will yeah. And competitive instinct. And I saw so, Like it's real, that's really important. The ability to be able to compete in the right way and compete with humility and honor and all those sort of things, doesn't matter what environment you're in. Yeah. Um things like you know, consistency and, and perseverance, like, and again, it sort of links into the you know, the grit sort of theory, but how if you look at um, you know, AFL footy, it can be a real grind. Yeah. Like it can, there's all the you now people look at it from the outside and go, geez, it's amazing, it's glamorous, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, 
two percent of it is the reality is for most of the guys it's a real grind yeah um and even just you know we did some stuff the other day we had some of the the frio first year players dial in to share their thoughts on their first year in the in uh at Fremantle, and they use the exact words i said oh it just becomes it's such a grind so the ability to persevere and, and be consistent with whether it be your training whether it be your habits whether it be your behaviors whatever the consistency again means for you and the ability mm. to stick at it um like incredibly important from a performance perspective yeah um and then if i go back to the start um i won't go through them all but if i go back to the start around performance like what you say and what you do like really simple again reflection questions mm. so you can get at the end of the day or you can get at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever it might be in terms of how you want to use it and say well how did i how did i show up today how am i going to show up tomorrow yeah um you know if i've got an important sales meeting or i've got a presentation to do or whatever whatever it is yeah this notion of using it also as a reflective but also a forward-looking question simple yes. questions yes. but really practical and usable well it's self-feedback but also as we talked about earlier it's about the intention you know so yeah who do, if if i didn't quite step up to the plate today and i know that what's the intention i need to put in place tomorrow and how can i Im- improve even one two percent that's get right. The best exactly right yeah and so i'm assuming then from these um and we'll talk about emotional and social there'd be there'd be behaviors kpis habits that are informed which we then measure ourselves against to see yeah, are you, we making progress are we on track yeah that's right yeah and i've sort of there's a, a framework or a template that that i use with exact which is exactly that but it's also relative to the individual in the sense you say well what does so if we're using what's another one with so if we're using resilience for example yeah what does resilience mean to you hmm. Because it means different. It's not. It's not for John Haynes to define what resilience is for you. Yeah. You tell us what you think it means for you, and again, based on your own experiences and based on the environment that you're in. And then, how do you reckon you're going against that? Mm. And how important it is is it to you? Because again, with the twelve traits that sit underneath these three buckets, you're not going to be ten out of ten at all yeah. of them. No one is. Yeah. Um, so it's defining what does it mean for you? How important is it for you? And then how do you think you're going? And so that, having that, again, that framework, that point of reference that you can just come back to that's nice and simple um, is really, is really really powerful. But it's also practical as well because yeah. how many how many times do people ask you, say, how do you think you're going? Oh, I think I'm tracking okay. Well, how do you know? Well, yeah, that's right. It just feels like I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. And and some, we've also used the framework where, okay, well, um, Darren, pick a couple of people. And they're going to provide a perspective on how you're going in terms of your level of competitiveness or yeah. how prepared you are or how resilient you are. And again, that's all proportional to the environment and relationships. Yeah. So you don't just go straight in and do that straight away because some of this stuff can be can be confronting. Um, so you've got to sort of gauge that and have the right processes and support in place. But getting a different perspective on it other than your own is yeah. is really powerful and really helpful. And then being able to, I guess, have the uh, the self awareness and the social awareness to accept that sort of three six degree feedback, exactly with, yeah, with gratitude exactly. to say, ah, is there something in that, or is it an opinion that's coming forth? Yeah, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they're the they're the performance. What a sign! I know you've got and these. I'm I'm assuming these are in are these in the book? Yeah, the yeah, book? they are. Are yeah, it's um, yeah, it's all there. Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure. Awesome. So what are what are some traits that we should be thinking about under the emotional emotional bucket? Okay, so emotional character refers to what's going on inside you. So what yeah. you think and what you feel. So different parts of the brain. Um, and and again, even that it sounds so simple, but been really interesting this year. Like even so that the engineer example that I alluded to before. Yeah. Um, you ask a, a group of engineers or an engineer what they think, and no problems. Ask them what they feel, and you can just feel what? this. What do you mean? What's 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 that strange language you're, you're asking? You're talking using John. I'm being facetious, um, but like it's a different point of view. So what you think and what you feel is is again really simple way of capturing what's going on inside you. And and some of the tra- some of the the traits 
within this bucket are things like ego. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've all got one. Uh, it, it's it's how we manage the ego uh, is the critical part. Um, you know, it, it can be when things are going well, it can destroy us because we get ahead of ourselves. And when things are not going so well, it can be as equally harmful because yeah. we start thinking of ourselves and poor bugger me and it's all about me rather than the outward-looking stuff. So ego is a really important part of it. Um Calmness under duress, I think, is – I would never um, rate the 12 attributes, but I, I think the ability to stay calm, particularly under pressure, uh, is a wonderful characteristic. And the the best leaders I've seen um, – and if best is the right word – but the best leaders I've seen have got this this attribute in spades. And, and I've been in – you know, plenty of environments where it's, you know, it's really hot and, you know, lots of pressure and lots of expectation. And this is this is right up there in terms of the capacity to navigate really difficult situations. Yeah. But also to give a level of comfort and confidence to those around you. Um, and it's, it's something that at, at a personal level, if you look at my own leadership style for a moment, this has been one that I've always been conscious of. So part of it's been deliberate, but it's also a part of it's been innate that when things are really hotting up, the ability to be calm and clear and give confidence to those around you is a really, really powerful trait. Um, and the reality is, you, you know, in my experience, it, 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 there's been less of it than more of it in my leadership experiences with some of the leaders that I've, I've worked with, unfortunately. Because unfor- it's it, it's so easy to react to to situations that are happening and 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 think well, this is happening to me. Therefore, I'm going to blame that event. I'm going to blame that person. They spoke to me the yeah. wrong way. They did that. They did this. But being able to take that and create that gap between, I guess, the stimulus and response and choose yeah. how you respond. It's and it's then always thinking about. And as you say, a great leader will always think about. Well, hang on what's the best way for me to respond in this situation? Because I know there are people who are relying on me yep. and maybe if I behave in a certain way, that almost gives permission for them to behave in a certain way. And that's not going to serve the organization. Yeah. And, and they're linked as well. So those two examples are ego and calmness under pressure. Like they're absolutely linked. And it's the same with the, you know, all the attributes are, they work across as well as sort of in a linear fashion, but um like it's hard to be calm under pressure if you've got a whopping ego. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it, because you're probably, if, when the heat goes on, you're probably thinking of yourself, thinking of how am I going to save my own skin here or save What's my reputation, my brand, whatever it is. So they're, they're, they're deliberately designed to be linked, all these traits, but they've got yeah. nuances to them as well. Yeah, love um, it, love it. Now what about the, what are what are some of the ones under the social? Is this Is this some of the, like the EQ type area? Yeah, yeah, it is. And sort of this is how the term we use here is what's happening around you. So what you're yeah. seeing, what you hear. Yeah. So it's, it's awareness um, and it can be the hardest I've found to teach and coach because it it, it requires you to, in simple terms, not think of yourself and think of other people. Um, so things like, you know, having a belief uh, that there's something bigger than yourself going on. Yeah. Whatever organisation you work in. Yeah. And so that, that can be hard for people to sometimes work out if, you know, if I'm working for the local bakery or I'm working down the local accounting firm, well, am I part of something bigger here? And how does the leadership and the, um, the organisation create something that's got a, a higher level of thinking and yeah. purpose to it? Um, you know, attributes like curiosity and kindness and gratitude, uh, again, those three are linked in a lot of ways, um, but the the best organized so curiosity can be an organisation trait as well as an individual one. But I think the best organisations, and again, the really curious leaders that I've seen, have got this sort of level of inquisitive inquisitiveness that allows them not to accept the status quo and to look at other ways of doing things, but in a really creative, natural way and not a yeah. forced way. You know, been in plenty of things over the years where people say, "Oh, we're going to we need to innovate better, or we're going to go away and be creative, or we need." Yeah, you know, it's 
that, that that's hard to direct people to do that. Like it's the environment that you create that allows that creativity and the curiosity to occur, as opposed to go and be curious. Because um, it does, yeah, be and, then, and then kindness and gratitude. You know, they're, yeah. Again, they're obvious ones, but incredibly powerful. And if we look at the expectations of today's workforce, and again, if we go back to the younger generation language, their expectations of our, of their leaders and their expectations of workplaces uh, has progressed significantly in the last few years. Yeah. And, and if your organisation doesn't have as a strong, visible sense that, you know, we've got a level of social consciousness, we've got a level of empathy, we're going to support our people, we've got a strong wellbeing strategy, all the things that people now accept that five years ago only the best organisations were, were doing, whereas now it's like you have to have this. Yeah. And kindness and gratitude absolutely fit into that bucket. And, um, and at a personal level, you know, simple questions like, well, how can you be the best part of someone else's day? Um, or, you know, what made you smile today? Just asking questions like that in, in leadership meetings or with, you know, groups of grizzly miners or whatever it might be. Um, five years ago, you would have been laughed out of town. But, um, like, you ask those questions now and people, like, I mean, I've been blown away by how engaged people are with simple questions like that because they've never been asked them before in those environments. And again, it encourages them just to think about other people, think about their behaviour, think yeah. about their leadership style, think yeah. about the impact they're having on others. Just from really simple questioning. Yeah. It's phenomenal because I'm sure that, like, when I do leadership programs and when I'm doing sales programs, whatever the case might be, sometimes we, we can think because we do this every single day, we can sometimes wrongly assume that other people would, would understand some of these concepts. So when you ask a question, so, how you're feeling and how can you make somebody's day? And are you gonna you're gonna enact a, a random act of kindness or something today? You're thinking, what? <laughs> what yeah, are yeah. you talking about? We don't do that here. It's yeah. um, but it's it's fascinating because that's that's I mean, what you've been describing is is the foundation that any any leader in any organization, irrespective of the industry, that's right, is to think about. Yeah, yeah. And and people can interpret those, those, you know, there's lots of them, but those sort of questions, however they want as well. So some people go, oh, you know, I want to pay for it a coffee, pay for it a coffee, or I want to buy someone lunch. Well, you know, guys this year, and they, it, was, it was challenging for them, but one of them came back and said, oh, I just asked, um, so he'd been in the role for three years, and he goes, I just asked one of the guys that works in my team, how can I help you do your job better? And I said, have you ever asked him that question before? And he goes, no. And so, and, and this guy's response was, you know, he was he loved it and he gave yeah. him two or three things. Oh, I'd need you to do this. Oh, it'd be great if you did that or if you didn't. Yeah. Whatever. That, but just created a conversation. But he interpreted diff that question differently than other people where they see it as, oh, I've got to give something to someone or do yeah. something for someone. He, was, he viewed it as, well, I should try and attack this relationship differently. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Which just and that builds that builds can build a high level of engagement, high level of loyalty, and it could yeah. be the difference that makes all the difference for that person staying with that organisation or leaving because yeah. of how that leader made that person feel. That's right, feel valued. Exactly. So exactly right. Yeah, right. that's um that's awesome. Hey, I'm I'm conscious of your time. <laughs> We've been going for an hour, and it's phenomenal. I could keep talking for another couple of hours. No, it's good fun. Um, yeah. The if if we've got a leader. Um, a leader sitting there thinking, you know what, I've I've got I've got my strategy in place. I think I'm a good leader, but I know there's something there's something missing, something that I need to be thinking of. Um, and I know it's a question without notice, and there may not be a definitive answer. But if they if they came to you and said, John, what's the number one piece of advice you can give me to improve my own leadership so I can build a better level of engagement? Yeah. Um, based on your experience, what yep. would that be? Yeah. We've got another hour. Um, <laughs> I, th I think one thing I've, I've always known, but particularly in the last few years, become stronger and stronger, is you can't separate yourself from your character. Now, I think sometimes you can separate yourself from your leadership. Sure. And, and so that, so that, so when you look, look around leadership behaviour, again, coming back to the fact that, well, what sort of person do I want to be? How do I want to be described as opposed to what type of leader? Yep. If you can get that foundational stuff right and be really clear on who you are, really clear on who you are, 
and the impact you want to have. And if you can get that right, then the, the leadership stuff should flow. And, and you'll start to build deeper levels of trust. You'll start to have stronger relationships with people. Yeah. Um, and all, all the things that we know work will start to flow for you if you're really clear on, on who you are and what in your, you know, your purpose, if you like. Um, I, I, that, that's sort of the, again, the coming back to that sort of foundational element, I reckon that's the, the key one for me, as opposed to focusing. I used to think, go to bed at night and think, oh, how did I... How did I lead today? And you said think about it a lot. But it, it, they, weren't, they weren't the right questions. It was more about how did I make people feel. Yeah. They're, the, they're the better questions to ask yourself, I think, yeah. and it comes back yeah. to, again, your foundational sort of identity as to who you are and how you want to be seen. Love it. Love the answers, and it's a great way of looking at it. So what I get from that, it's not so much of what you've done, it's who were you today? And who are you? So when you when you ask yourself, how am I doing as a leader? Is who am I? What do I stand for? How do I be? And who do I need to be tomorrow? Rather than saying, what are the things I have to do that is leadership? How do I right. need to be in terms of a, a better character, yeah. better human being? Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And I, and I think like sporting teams do this stuff. They do do it really well. Like we talk a lot about um, the dynamic yeah. element as opposed to the mechanical element. You know, I was chatting to a, a mate the other day. He runs a big government department over here. You know, a lot of people, big budgets, a lot of pressure. Um, and we're talking about, you know, his team. I said, how much time do you, you know, how often do you get together with the team? He goes, oh, we catch up every week um, for an hour and then we catch up every month for another sort of a half day. Um, I said, how much of, you, of that time with your team is spent talking about, you know, KPIs and performance and budgets and so on? And he said, oh, probably 95% of it. And I said, well, where, where, where do all your issues come from and your challenges come from? He goes, people and culture and dynamics. <laughs> and, 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 and you would have heard that plenty of times, but it's, yeah. it's <laughs> so common. So even just in the simple terms, I said, well, have a think about when you're developing your agenda or your format for those days, can you spend as much time or dare I say it slightly more time talking about how you guys are functioning as a team as opposed to what you're doing. And again, it sounds simple and it's so easy to talk about, oh yeah, we finished that building or KPIs and we're on track. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah. But this is the stuff over here. that's actually going to help you get there quicker. And that's where your problems are going to come from as well. Typically. 100%. So how can, yeah, how can you just simply just let even the ledger a little bit? Let's talk as much about our people and the way we're functioning, the way we're working together Yeah. as much as budgets and plans and timelines. Yeah. You know, you know John, the most, most letters don't do that because they can't measure that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, I get it. Give me well, something I can well, We're more comfortable. Yeah, we're more comfortable talking about that sort of stuff <laughs> typically, yeah. Um, it's like when people talk about, you know, leadership and being all the soft skills, like, <laughs> oh, that's just a load of shit. Like, yeah, don't give it the hard, That's the hardest stuff to get right. It is harder stuff to get right. So let's spend more time on it and actually, yeah. And you hit the nail on the head. You said if you get this right, if you do this well, the numbers and all the results will take care of themselves. Exactly. But you've just Happy got to. But there's a risk for people to say, "Okay, we're going to go and do this. We're going to yeah. just stop doing what's probably served us to a point." Okay, at this point. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you throw all that out. It just means that how do we balance the ledger a little bit more and just make this part of what we do? And it might mean at the front end you need to load up and just over-index a little bit on it. Yeah. But then once you once the, the rubber hits the road, it's like, well, it just becomes part of what we do. Yeah, yeah. 100%, 100%. And that... That is what that is what great leadership is all about. And if you there, and there'll be a lot of a lot of great leaders in many organisations that leave a trail of excellence because that's what they focus on. Exactly. Yeah. And you just and you listen to the way people talk about them. Yeah. That, that's well, that's what you that's they've had an impact. Yeah. yeah. And it's a long lasting yeah. impact. That's right. Yeah. Brent, yeah. yeah. mate, I've I've absolutely loved this conversation. I could do it again, and maybe the, maybe there's a second edition coming. <laughs> No, no, I'd love to. Yeah, no, I really, it's one of those topics you could, uh, you could talk about for hours and hours. Oh, and I hours. could talk so, this for days, yeah. for days. Yeah. So no, I appreciate it. Mate, greatly appreciate you jumping on. For people who want to know more about John Haynes um, <laughs> and more importantly, where they, where they can get access to 
your book, Rock Solid Character. Yeah. I There's know it's going to be an all good book source. Book source. Well, there book. it is. Can you see that? You probably can't can. see it with a blurt. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's all it's all, all the normal sort of um, bookstores, Darren, online, Amazon and Book Depository and Angus and Robertson and all those sort of things. So um, I, I think I said to you at the start, I, um, I'm I'm not a, a social media user. I never have been. So I keep a reasonably low profile on in that regard. But, um, you yeah, know, people can contact me through LinkedIn if, if they want to have a chat. Um, and, yeah, it's something I probably need to get better at. But um, <laughs> I've just... I sort of took a deliberate approach this year. I wanted to see whether it could work and and actually build something um, through word of mouth and actually proving myself rather than telling everyone how good it is. So um, it, it's it's been nice that it's been it's building that way, but um, it's probably something that yeah I'm being advised that I need to get better at. So yeah, but the other thing is that um, I mean it'll stand the test of time, mate. So if and being on being on podcast, um, you know, being on reputable podcasts like Mark's, <laughs> and then coming on some of the less ones like mine, <laughs> the word that the gospel will be spreading. The gospel will be spreading. Yeah, no, so. no, I, no, I do appreciate. You know, Mark's been a, a great advocate, um, and I appreciate you. Yeah, he's showing interest and taking the time as well. So it's it's been fantastic. So thank you. You're welcome, mate. And um, thanks again for jumping on. We'll make sure that the um, the contact details and where they can. Is there a specific like? Um, maybe I'll put an Amazon link for the uh, for the book. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can flick you those through to, to put um, to put on. But yeah, they're probably the most um, the most accessible for people. Things like book depository and, yeah. and so on, Amazon and so on. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Awesome, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to uh, talking to you. I love the work you're doing, and and keep up the great work, mate. We'll we'll have to do this again. Fantastic, appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. Cheers, mate. Good on you. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show, so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.